Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we are talking about two season finales. <laughs> we <laughs> are at the end of it. <laughs> end of season five of Buffy. So we watched The Gift, and then we also watched There's No Place Like... I've that was an kn- I don't think they even. I don't think they ever even say it in the show, do they? Um, no. I mean, but I, think I guess like reading plurts clerp. I think reading without vowels is you basically you know they come out anyway. But I think plurts clerp is pretty good. But I prefer to mangle it further because you know why not? I don't think they did ever say it. I don't think they did either. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So Jenny, how are you? Oh, you know, good. <laughs> Better than last week. Um, <clears throat> I'm my head is on straight, and I'm in finally like shotgunned a lot of Christmas spirit last yesterday. We got a tree, we decorated, and we watched three Christmas movies. It was like a lot. It was more than I anticipated, but it turns out Alex hadn't seen any number, uh, several of what I consider to be not only classics but like, con- like. Like, he had never seen Elf, and he had never seen Love Actually. And those are things that came out when we were in high school. So I'm just like, honestly, I just don't know how you have managed to not see them. Yeah. So, anyway. But then you get the joy of showing someone those movies for the first time. It's true. Love Actually maybe hasn't aged as well, but, like, (laughs) Elf for the first time, like, a few years ago, I did that with my mom. Like, she had never seen it. Yeah. And, like, the joy on her face was, like, amazing. (laughs) She's yeah. like, I didn't know this. She's like, I thought this was a kid's movie. I, I know. Like, and it's no. like people who haven't seen it are like, oh, it's because I don't like Will Ferrell. I'm like, it's not Will Ferrell being Ron Burgundy. It's Will Ferrell being a delight. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> anyway, and I we saw... also watched White Christmas was the third one that we watched that he had never seen, which is it's also very weird to me that he's never seen that. But it seems I don't know. I think I only saw that for the first time, like probably like 10 years ago. I mean, that's one that you've only seen if your parents made you watch it. So. I, I guess knowing his parents is still a little bit surprising to me, but I understand how someone could have missed that. Whereas, again, like the other ones, it's like, I, w- I saw Elf in a movie theater with my friends. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> He's going to be so Elf. mad that I'm talking about this for so long. I was also shaming him on social media last night. So, <laughs> Hey, Sorry. I failed that test. I was like, is this you screen the only supposed one. to like weed out the true like knowledge people? <laughs> like, I was like, that, I don't know what this is. <laughs> that was not the point. I was too lazy or I had... I was too lazy to, like, rewind it and get the proper title card, and I was, like, close enough, and then you were not the only one to respond to me, like, which movie is <laughs> so, so I had a hunch that it was White Christmas, but, like, the problem that I have is that I watched White Christmas several years after watching Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn. Inn. Yeah, and they're both and I get Berlin. them so confused, and so that's I was fair. like, maybe that's what that is? I don't know. I mean, they're related. They're related on a number of ways, so. Yeah, like that's in not that a, they sing White Christmas. They sing both. White Christmas. They have a lot of the same music. They're <laughs> initially, the <laughs> it's all the same people. For, uh, Fred Astaire is in Holiday Inn, but he's not in White Christmas. We, they wanted him to be, so it's like, it's about an inn. <laughs> it's fair. Totally fair. Yeah. White Christmas is better, but anyway. Anyway, so we were a week later than I wanted to be getting Christmas stuff set up, but I think three movies in one day, like, puts us back on track. (laughs) It's quite a lot, yeah. It was a lot. I mean, we started early, but still. Oh, we also had dim sum yesterday, which I think I haven't done since I moved out of San Francisco, and it was my favorite. Fun. And do you know that I've yeah, never I done like, it here? Like I, I've really? only ever gone to like a place and got like dumplings, but I've never done like the full like 
I'm going to go have like dim sum brunch or something. Oh man. I've never done that here. And I feel like kind of shamed about it because I'm like, I should do it here. I'm yeah. sure there's like excellent places. Although I will say, I mean, I think the reason that I used to do it a lot when I lived there is because we worked right down the street from Chinatown. And so we would sometimes go for lunch. Like that oh, was great. Yeah. Cause it was like two blocks away to be like, yeah, you can go do dim sum lunch if it's two blocks away. Man, yeah. it was so good though. I just haven't had it in so long. I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> what have I been doing? Oh, so good. And it was very inexpensive. I'm going to um, Boston for an extended Christmas number of days before the holiday. You're going to um, live out a Lifetime movie? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Christmas in Boston specifically. Yeah. I'm not being generic. I'm being very specific. <laughs> I One of my favorite Boston restaurants um, is like this kind of mostly Chinese, but a little Asian fusion-y place. Oh, um, is it the flower the, one? What? Go, go ahead. Sorry. It's the one, the same owners as yeah. flower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I knew you knew what I was talking about. Cause I've like told you about this, but they yeah, do a dim sum brunch on the mm. weekends and I want to try to talk Claire into going. Mm. So Claire, if you're listening, let's go to Myers and Chang brunch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's ever done it, but it's also tricky because she's allergic to shellfish. So, shellfish. You know, you oh yeah, like we had we had someone carefully. someone with us was someone with us was also allergic to shellfish, and it was tough. Yeah, I mean, like if you go to a restaurant that's prepared, it's fine, but sometimes they're not. So yeah, I mean, and specifically with dim sum, it's very like yeah, it's hard. Like yeah, everything has shrimp or sauce a lot of stuff has and it's very hard to find out i you know I, what and the problem is too is everything. not like if the specific dish doesn't have it it's but like also if it's like touched kitchen it. contamination yeah so, um but i've successfully gone to um restaurants with her where they just give her like a different menu and they're like mm-hmm. you can order all of these things um mm-hmm. and then she always tries to ask them like what brand <clears throat> of fish sauce do you use and i don't know why we're going down this tangent but <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'll just say anyway. that i really want to have dim sum as well great <laughs> I also got, well, sort of got in the holiday spirit yesterday. I, like, Mm -hmm. made a cake, but it was gingerbread flavored, and Mm. my house smelled amazing. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's the best smell. It was, like, baking, and I just, like, like, I knew I was making a gingerbread cake, but I just, like, really hadn't pieced it together, and then, like, halfway through the baking, I was like, oh, my God, what is that smell? It's amazing. Like, this is incredible, and it turned out really well, and I, Mm. it was a weird cake, and I fed it to my friends, and... Like, I told one of my friends, like, I got in the car and was like, I almost didn't bring this because it's weird. Then everybody was like, this is so good. I was like, I don't even care if you're lying. This yeah. is <laughs> this is exactly why I like to bake. <laughs> what were the other, like, gingerbread and what? Uh, gingerbread and then I made an orange cream cheese frosting. Okay. That doesn't um, sound weird. Well. It sounds very holiday <laughs> That part isn't weird. That was okay. the part where I was like, at its core, this cake is normal and people okay. will eat this okay. part. But then I was also trying to do a riff on, like, fruitcake, but, like, the, like, oh. really gross fruitcake with, like, the shiny, like, right. neon-colored fruit and, like, all that stuff, you know, like, that nobody's going to want to eat. Mm-hmm. So my plan was to substitute that for gummy bears. I did see those. Okay. Yes. And, but you can't bake gummy bears because they just, mm-hmm. like, melt into everything. Mm-hmm. So my, I had to, like, put it in the middle of, with, like, the frosting layer. I see. And... I soaked the gummy bears in rum first, okay, and then that put them in there. And right. so yeah. I also like very liberally covered the surface of the cake with the gummy bears. And like I tried a gummy bear and I was like, oh my God, these are super boozy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like a terrible judge too, because I also use like spiced rum and I'm not like a huge rum person, mm-hmm. but I was trying to keep it again with like the traditional flavors and yeah. rum is, and gingerbread is like a typical thing. Um, so then I also used like 
some leftover rum to like make a glaze to like soak some of the cake layers. So it was a boozy cake. Um, yeah. Well, that's probably why everyone liked it. Then they just got well, drunk off a bite. Except, okay, so then I, like, everyone was eating it, and I, I didn't put that much glaze on the cake because I was kind of worried about overdoing it yeah. with the booze. And I probably could have done straight rum, but I did, like, a mix. Anyway, not important. But the point was, like, when they were eating the cake, they were like, oh, it doesn't really taste that boozy. And then... Mm-hmm. One of my friends was like, where are the gummy bears? And I was like, I don't know where they are. I put so many on oh. here. And then like every slice had like two gummy bears. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, where did they go? Huh. Did they disintegrate? So there might have... I, I don't think they would have melted because okay. like some of the candy on top of the cake was kind of melting, but the gummy bears were like pretty solid. Hmm. But like I wonder if like somebody like there was like a thief and somebody was like stealing Oh, the maybe. Yeah, could be. Or they just like were all... Like, got smushed into one side of the cake, and my friends that kept the rest of the cake are going to have a happy surprise. <laughs> I see. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I don't know, but, like, they were like, where are the gummy bears? I was like, I don't know. This is the weirdest thing. Like, they just disappeared. <laughs> so it was a strange cake, but everybody seemed to like it, so. Okay. Anyway, that is our cake tangent for those yeah. of you who enjoyed the baking <laughs> conversation. Once more with baking, and we're <laughs> moving on to Buffy. <laughs> yeah. I did talk to people yesterday also about the princess switch scene with the baking competition. Oh my God. I am not going to quit on that. That's fair. It just doesn't make any sense. No. Um, But let's talk about something (sighs) that also doesn't make a lot of sense or does depending on everything. I I don't know what specifically you're referring to. (laughs) I'm really not referring to anything. I'm just making a terrible segue. Okay. I was like, man, wait, do we think the whole premise of this episode doesn't make sense? No. I was like, I think it does. I have small quibbles, but I think the general storyline checks out. Yeah. And before we get into everything about it, I just have to ask you a very important question. Okay. Did you cry? A little bit. Yeah, I did too. I was surprised. Uh, me too. Well, no, I'm not. I'm never surprised. I cry, cry constantly at things. Uh, more surprising, got a little choked up at the end of Angel because I forgot about that part. <laughs> no, I did that too. And I was like, wait, what? No, this episode is over. Why are you doing this to me? Save this for next season. And that one's uh, really jarring because it's such like a happy, exactly. like, sad, like switch. Oh my um, God. All right. Well, no, we can talk I more about like, that with Angel, but. <clears throat> yeah, I was watching the end and I was like full on crying. And yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting yeah. that. I mean, I cried at everything I watched yesterday. <laughs> well, not White Christmas. That one's fine, but I cried in love, actually, even though I've seen that a billion times. I just got really touched about the... Look, I mean, yes, I agree. A lot of the storyline... Uh, some of the storylines haven't aged super well, or at least... Whatever. I don't want to get into that. All I want to say is as a kid and Liam Neeson as his dad. First of all, super sad because... Liam Neeson's wife actually died like a few years after that. And that's like a weird layer of reality to this weird story. But like the love story is sweet, fine, whatever, like between him and the girl. But it's just that he bonds with his stepdad over this thing and they're just so happy together. And that was like, I couldn't handle it. I was like, Liam Neeson and his son are so happy and they're getting over their loss of his mom. And it's just a lot for me. So anyway, so yeah, I cried a lot yesterday. (laughs) That's all I'm trying to say. Oh, I always cry when Buffy dies, even though I think I'm not going to. No, I just really just didn't think sad. I would because I like obviously I know what's coming. Seen it, but yeah. They play that scene so well. <laughs> they do, and well, and as we've touched upon many times, I mean, we. Sh- it's like I don't want to get into it because it's at the end of the episode, but. Allison Hannigan crying is always very sad. And I used to think, I was like, oh, I always cry when Spike cries because that's very sad and more unexpected. But this time it was Allison Hannigan that did it for me. I was like, yep, you're not, that's it. <laughs> yep. Ugh. 
Because they right, time well, the narration too well. Like They do. Yeah. It's, it's like intending to make you cry. Okay. Well, we should talk about it. <laughs> we <laughs> should. At the beginning. We didn't decide who's doing the uh, we recap, didn't. though. Uh, you should do this one. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, okay. I, I, either way. No, I, it's fine. I, um, I, I was watching with the intent of not taking notes, and then yeah. I just found myself taking a few notes, and then I have, like, no notes for Angel, so it's probably better if I okay. do this one. Um, I got notes for both. But I'm going to try to keep it short, because I think we're going to talk a lot, so... Yeah. Um, I'm just going to do a more high-level, less Very brief overview. <clears throat> um, so, we left off last time, like, Buffy realizes that the only way to close or to stop the key from working is to essentially, once it starts, to she's going to have to kill Dawn. So mm-hmm. they all decide that the plan then is to try to get there before the ritual even takes place, but they know that they can't get there too soon because then Glory could just turn around and try to do it again. Right. Um, they come to some conclusions that they maybe should have come to before, like, okay, Glory's a god, so let's fight her with a god's weapon. So right. <laughs> Anya points out that they have Quickly the find all the things yeah, that they've the had this hammer. whole season. <laughs> yeah, let's just go look around the shop and see all the things we've been ignoring for five years. <laughs> um, they have the troll hammer, so Buffy's got a weapon, and they remember that they have the Dagon Sphere in the basement. Yeah. And that Glory might react poorly to it, so they have that. <laughs> And then Anya and Xander rediscovered the Buffy bot, so they kind of just noticed that, but then put a pin in that because Mm -hmm. that comes into play later. So, you know, Dawn's kind of freaking out, like, because the ritual's coming, they're getting her dressed. Ben's trying to comfort her, but she's like, I want to talk to Glory, I don't even want to see you, because rightfully so, like... His betrayal is Glory is a little more understandable to be evil. Ben just feels like he's made a choice. Buffy and Giles are having some heart-to-hearts about you know, what she needs to do. Buffy's very adamant that the goal of this is not killing Dawn. Like, that's her red Mm -hmm. line. They are not going to kill Dawn. And she, in fact, outright threatens to kill everybody who tries Mm -hmm. to kill Dawn. So they come up with their plan. Of course, we don't hear it. Mm -hmm. But they go, and everybody walks in. They they decide to follow Tara because she's clearly trying to get somewhere. So they they realize Mm -hmm. perhaps she can lead them to glory. And she does. They find the scaffolding that the... Um, not even minions, like her victims have been building mm-hmm. this whole time. And Tara finds Glory and Willow is there and she casts a spell and actually reverses what Glory had done to Tara, which mm-hmm. both weakens Glory and also has the happy effect of returning Tara to normal. Mm-hmm. And then Buffy shows up with the Dagon Sphere and it does appear to be weakening Glory. So they kind of spar a little bit. Glory destroys the Dagon Sphere and then appears to get the upper hand on Buffy, but turns out that's the Buffy bot because mm-hmm. that was clever. And um, she's like, did anybody know that Slayer was a robot? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> so the real Buffy shows up with the hammer, starts um, battling Glory, and everyone else is left to deal with the minions and also the, the victims of Glory that are kind of under, like they're being used as a human shield. And, you know, everybody kind of gets their moment and they're all fat- fighting and they realize, like, the goal is to prevent them from climbing the scaffold. Glory and Buffy get a little bit of a battle going on on the scaffold to try to get to the top, Mm -hmm. and they fall off. And so then Willow clears a path, and Spike goes to the top because it's become clear somebody's up there with Dawn, Mm -hmm. which is our friend, the demon PhD doctor, whatever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doc. (laughs) Um, And so Spike gets up there and tries to stop, but he gets defeated and thrown off the, um, the tower, and eventually, Buffy, like, beats Glory, essentially, to such a weakened state 
that Ben appears. Buffy runs off to go try to get to Dawn, and Giles steps in and does what Buffy can't and kills Ben. Mm-hmm. Because, rightly so, they realize that's the only true way to make sure she stays away. Mm-hmm. And... Buffy gets to the top, but Dawn has already been cut, so the ritual has already started, and the only way to close it is to give it the blood, which is what they've been saying this whole time, and Buffy realizes that because she's also come to the conclusion that the monks made Dawn out of her, that she can be the one to end the ritual, and she jumps off the tower to her death. And it's sad. Yeah. I have a lot of... I love this episode, but there is a lot of like, oh, Quip. remember this thing that we just happened to forget and remember right now? Yes. Thing element to it. It's so. true. It's because they wasted so two episodes on a plot line that was unnecessary, <laughs> I think, yes. which we've covered pretty extensively in the last two episodes. Um, I guess I, I do. I, I also have a couple quibbles, but I, I guess I want to jump in at the beginning because I really love the opening of this episode. Yeah, like, I think there are a lot of, not exactly de- deus ex machina moments, but there, yeah, there is a lot of kind of conveniently conveniently timed plot devices <laughs> throughout this episode to kind of get us where we need to be. Um, but that said, I do think that the general, like, generally, this episode is very well put together. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, that opening scene is, like, a little bit surprising because... Coming in in this moment in the finale, you know, you kind of expect to pick up where we left off, which is them in the magic shop talking about how they're going to have to kill Dawn. And instead what we have is, like, some guy being chased by a vampire in a dark alley, which is, like, the beginning of every season one episode of Buffy. So, I mean, I get it. I know what they're trying to do. And and I think it's very effective that, like, we see Buffy come out. She throws some quippy, you know, banter at this vampire, easily defeats him, tells this guy to go home, and then goes back to what they were doing, which is having this very, very difficult discussion about Dawn. And just think it was just so well put together that, like, we get to see, not only are we reminded about who Buffy is and what she's been doing, but we really get to see her exhaustion in that, more than I think they were able to establish these last couple episodes of, like, how tired she is of doing this thing and how wrote it has become for her and how she's starting. She, you can see also not only that, like she's so, so good at it that it's kind of pointless, but it's also harder and harder for her to do it, knowing that it's never going to stop. Anyway, I just really like that moment. I thought it was a great, great way to start this, especially I will admit that I had in my head the whole time I was watching this, like thinking about if this had been the final episode of the whole series, how certain elements would have played. So I, I'm apologize because I'm probably going to bring that up several times, but like, no, I think it's relevant thinking about this as a series finale. That's like the perfect opening. I loved it. And it works just as well as in a series finale, but I just really liked that opening scene. It really is. I mean, it, because we, there's always that question and right of like show instead of tell in a show. And I think the last episode, there was so much telling while we were talking to like Coma Buffy and trying to figure out what the hell is going on in her head that this was the more effective way to just show it. Like you said, like she appears, she's like, okay, I I immediately know what's up. I'm exhausted at the prospect of this. I also know I can win. And this guy's an idiot for not even knowing who I am. (laughs) Like she says, like, it's been a while since one didn't even know who I am. Like kind of implying the point of like, at least in Sunnydale, like Buffy she's doesn't famous. really have to do yeah. that much vampire <laughs> yeah. slaying because they just stay away because right. they know that she's there. And you also see the place that she has in the world that is going to be missed, obviously, if right. she's gone. <clears throat> but I think it's really interesting for me, like this first scene, what opens up when you contrast it to the last scene, 
of like, yes, Buffy's making this noble sacrifice and everything, but it almost reads as Buffy's really giving up on It's true. I know. I agree. Like the, because of the exhaustion and everything, like she just sees a way out and she takes it. I agree. I mean, I think that is not... Yeah, I like had that not, thought I don't want to say, end. like, it doesn't feel like straight suicide, but it, it does is, feel like... Right. It's complicated. There's a little bit more to Buffy's sacrifice. I agree with that. And I mean, especially, again, not to... Not to just circle the same things all the time, but like it really, 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 I think works leads well into the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I think it works great on its own. I definitely think this could have stood the test of time as the finale of the show. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I think you're right. I, I do think that that exhaustion is a lot more apparent. Actually, now that you bring that up too, it's funny to me how like, again, when they get it right, they get it so right that now I'm like ha- her having these conversations with Giles and everybody about how if I have to kill Dawn, that's it. Or rather, if Dawn dies, I quit. If you try and touch Dawn, I'm going to kill you. Kind of that, everything that she says in the first, uh, like first chunk of this episode while they're still in the magic shop hit home for me so much more than the last whole two episodes did of like establishing how she feels. I was like, man, yeah. I mean, again, not to reiterate all of our qualms about things because I love this season and I love this finale, but I, it's just so funny to me. If anything, I, I'm like, yeah, when you guys get it right, you really, really get it right. Like, you didn't need to spend all this time with these weird nights because in, yeah. in two minutes, you can establish what you what took you two episodes to kind of not establish. <laughs> no, it's true. And it's so effective when they yeah, do it this it's so way. Much more effective. I think, yeah. Especially because it's the final episode, too. And I think forgetting some of the crap that was in between, but like, you really see Buffy's exhaustion when she and Giles are talking about like, how many apocalypses is this? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, like, that's such a great they've line. They've done this so many times. And it's like, she's realizing, like, <clears throat> it's just going to keep happening. And also this one, like, yes, she had to sacrifice Angel and, you know, all these things. And she kind of brings up all the stuff that she's done. But, like, this one, Buffy yeah. is ultimately the victim in this one, yes. I think. Because <laughs> the monks emotionally manipulated her into caring about the key to the point that she will literally do anything to save it, including yes. threaten to kill her friends, threaten to quit slaying, all And kill of herself, yeah. But, or like, how emotionally herself. taxing is that to know that you're doing all of this, you're basically yeah. performing as their dancing monkey, but you still can't not you do, can't it do it because yeah. it worked because you've been effectively manipulated. It's And true. just the sheer exhaustion at this knowledge and knowing that you're going to do it again and again yeah. and again. Like It's true. I mean, well, Dawn is not, a, I'm saying Dawn is a victim as well. Like, obviously of course. she's innocent in this as well. But, like, Buffy's ultimately the person that is making all these decisions and would never have had to do this if, like, the monks right. hadn't done this to her. It's true. And it's funny that you say that, too, because, I, I I mean, and in the same vein, when she's talking about all these things and how she sacrificed Angel before, I thought, again, it just, like, really hit home for me how they've done a great job of establishing how different or they've in the in the first 10 minutes of this episode immediately put me on their side which is this is totally different than anything she's done before even though it's the sixth time that we've seen her do this and so it's like it is funny because i think it would be too easy it would be easy to think how is this any different from angel because she already had to make that sacrifice once where she had to kill someone she loved but and it's like i'm even having a hard time pinpointing exactly what all the things that are different about it are but it's just like it never i guess i'm just uh, rather than Rather, it's not easy to say that, and it's funny to me, like, how different they are. I'm doing a very bad job of explaining it. I'm just, no, I understand I just, it's it. so funny how, like, in on its surface, if you were not thinking about it, I think it would be easy to say, this is exactly the same as when she had to kill Angel. But, like, you know in your heart as a viewer, it's not the same at all. And, like, it's impressive that they've done that. 
Because and is it just because the, she's her sister? It's because of so much more than that, though. Well, and also it's because she's already had to do those things. Like she, true, 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 true. She already sacrificed Angel. She's already seen her mom die of natural causes and yeah. be, you know, unable to stop this. And like, okay, yes, Buffy didn't sacrifice her mom, but right, in some ways she fact- sacrificed her relationship with her mother for right. all of this. Right. And I think where this is different, and I think they do a good job of kind of subtly talking about it, but not overdoing it, is like Buffy says, you know, like I, I killed Angel, and I knew it was the right thing, and I. I don't, right. she doesn't and even, she kind of says like, you know, she maybe would do it again. Like it's, it was the right thing. Like she right. knew it was the right thing to do, but like she knows that you could say killing Dawn is the right thing to do, but she, she can't, can't do it anymore. Sacrifice another person. Right. Because, you know, we've been talking about since she went on the spirit quest of like death is her gift and they keep bringing it up. But I do <clears> think it's a very effective tool yeah. for the end of the season because Buffy has been worrying about what that means. Like, you could take that word, death is your gift, and apply it to, oh, you sacrifice all these people for the greater good. Right. And that's the gift. Like, you kill people to give the world a chance. Right. Or death is the gift, like you're a killer. Or what we see kind of it get turned on its head here is, like, death is your gift, and the final gift is you can not kill Right. The person that you're supposed to kill and just say enough sacrifice, I'll make the sacrifice. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. I mean, obviously that's the point of the title and all of that stuff. Of but like, I, I just think that it's because they lay out everything that she's done before. Like, there's never any question that she'll be okay doing it again because she's already been asked to do it. And I think right. that's part of the exhaustion, right? Is like, how many times am I going to be asked to kill the people that I love for right. <laughs> the greater good? Yeah. Yeah. When you watch this and then you think about the last episode, it's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mean season seven? <laughs> no, oh, you mean I mean, the, I oh, think about... okay. <laughs> the previous like, episode. Yeah, last week's yeah, episode. Oh, my God. That they can yeah, clearly I mean, do more. this, but they've just been not. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and is, I, again, to give kind of credit to Sarah Michelle Gellar, like, she makes a lot out of, again, five to ten minutes of this episode where it's like, they didn't let her talk for most of the last episode. I think that was a mistake. She is able to carry these kinds of things. So, yeah, it's a little bit silly to kind of, like, put her on the bench in that last episode to be like, isn't it more amusing to have this, you know, weird dream sequence? I'm like, kind of, but yeah. not really. <laughs> also, okay, so I want to take a little moment and talk about the kind of convenience of their realizations in this okay. episode. Okay. Because it was a little bit of, like, you know... Okay, on the one hand, I'm so happy that Anya got her moment because totally. like, she was like, somebody help. And Giles was like, why don't you give it a try? And like, she was like, <laughs> well, fine, here's all my brilliant <laughs> ideas. Yeah. But it's kind of like one after the other, like, they have the Dagon Sphere. They have the hammer. Tara yeah. can lead them to glory. Like, it was kind of like, why are they just now figuring all this stuff out? Right. And like, you know, then Buffy comes in and she's like, the monks made her out of me. And I don't remember if like they told her that or she's I, known that this whole time because they've never said it that way. I think they did tell her that, but maybe not. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and I guess more so than the convenience, I do actually think that's the weird kind of part of this. I think it is going to fall apart if we, like, pull a thread, because why would blood be part of this ritual at all? Because the key has never been a human up until this uh, point. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I do think the logic of using Buffy's blood tracks based on everything that they're telling us is true, but I don't understand why blood is involved at all <laughs> or why how anyone could have predicted that it would be. <laughs> it's Unless, a little like, weird. the ritual they're doing is not key specific. It's just like 
how you use mystical energy to open a portal. But then if why it do they even to be human? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. Why, why is Don's dress dog? part of the ritual? I need mean, know the key to be human. Too. Like I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason she needs to wear that dress. <laughs> That's one of my notes. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, true I, that it will fall apart if we talk too much about that. But because there is a lot that makes a lot of sense, but is also truly dependent on Dawn being human. And if yeah. they didn't know that the key was going to be human, how is this ritual? I don't... I I do think that at some point we heard that Dawn had been made from Buffy. Maybe she told it to Joyce when they were in the hospital. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess just I, feel I, like I have to it up, was news I, to me, and I didn't understand how Buffy suddenly knew this with clarity and like had oh. never mentioned it before. Oh my god. Okay, actually, that reminds me of a mistake that we made last episode, or at least that I made last episode. Um, th- when we were talking about why Ben's choices and why he would allow Glory to go through with this ritual at all, knowing that it would end the world, I think we... We, or at least I, missed part of the conversation that he and Glory were having, where I guess she kind of promised him, like, immortality, if he let her go. That's what Alex told me when we were watching this episode. I was like, I still I don't get it. And he was like, they, she, she had a conversation about it. <laughs> oh, I don't know where he would have pulled that out if it, if it didn't happen in the episode. So, either way. I think that, either way, that makes way more sense than why else would Ben go along with this. Well, anyway, we should talk about Ben. Or, yeah. actually, what I want to talk about is... A thing that I do not re- did not recall is that Xander is the first person to yes. suggest killing Ben, and I was like, I am here for that. Not that you know, not happy to see Xander turn into a murderer, but it's like, again, a very good mark of like how far they've come. That like he's willing to say it, that it is true. I don't know. I mean, I liked it. That Xander is kind of falling in line with Giles as the one recognizing the things that Buffy will never be able to do, but that they know need to be said. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I made that note too because I was kind of. I always just remembered it kind of coming out of nowhere, but like (laughs) it doesn't. Like it's it's a part of the plan that they come up with and discard because Buffy's like, no, but. Obviously, there's like a kind of a look between, you know, yeah. everyone else where, you know, that's in the moment where Giles is kind of like, you know, and especially he's giving Buffy the speech to. Right. And you kind of realize like, yeah, Giles is the person who does all the things that Buffy can't do, the yeah. things that they shouldn't have to. Like, yeah. And it's interesting. I think the speech is used to kind of um, give Buffy kind of the idea that like she's going to take that to heart and do the things that other people shouldn't have to, including sacrificing your, your life for the world. But I think it works on that level, but also I think it's a clear mission statement from Giles of what he's going to do about Ben. I agree. And, and to be honest, I think that's why I, yeah, like we've alluded to this moment with Giles for this entire season, I think. And it's one of my favorite moments in the series because it's just, I mean, it's not like shockingly dark, but it is very dark. I think it is very in line with who I now understand Giles to be like, I don't know. I just think it's a really important moment in the show, but more, more than anything, it's because of the way he is because of his reasoning for doing it, which is I'm doing this because she shouldn't have to. I'm like, he's doing it as a way to protect Buffy, which I think it makes it so much more interesting than if he were just doing it to save the world. (laughs) I mean, he's doing it for that too, obviously, but. Well, yeah, because like, you know, Buffy walks away from Ben and Giles says like, she fully knows the risk of this. Like, he's going to come back and punish her for this one day. But Buffy's like, not going to trade that risk for a, for a human life because, you know, think of everything Buffy's ever encountered with humans. Like that, I think it's so important to remember when Faith killed the human because 
you know, Giles tells them accidents happen, like, it's horrible, but this really should have been something, like, that the council could deal with. And Yeah, yeah. So, but Buffy was so traumatized by that. And yeah. she's never, ever come close sense of, like, even toying with the idea of killing humans. And so... Except for all those nights in the two Except for all the nights, but again, like... like again, I think that was mostly in the heat of battle, too, sure, like where sure. she's got instincts and they are attacking her. And it also <clears> is, I think, a little bit, I don't know if we talked about this, like, to me, I think because the knights are the way they are, like, they're still wearing the chain mail of and they're course, like, doing yeah. all this. Like, it's a little easier to think of them as, like, mystical instead of truly right. human. And maybe they are, maybe they're imbued with some kind of power because they definitely gave Buffy a bit of a run. Um, mm, yeah. No, mostly but, I think it was just another reason why that storyline was bad. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or, and again, yeah. if they could have just thrown in one line where it's like, oh, these mystical knights. Yeah. Great. So <laughs> forgetting about the knights, and yes. I think also it's yes. supposed to be whatever damage they did was Fine. definitely overshadowed by what Glory did. But sure. yeah, Buffy's not going to kill Ben. And she knows it's a risk, but that's not her goal here. Her goal is to protect another life. Yeah. And, and you're right. It is also one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. And it, kind of I think it's the moment where the like this whole ep- I think this whole season has really been about them growing up yes. like we really don't <laughs> see them in class we see them you know yeah. dealing with truly adult issues but I think yeah. this is the moment where the show kind of grows up I agree part of totally. growing up is this like gray area between right and wrong yeah. you know like you start to realize like the world isn't black and white and you can't always fall on one side of the line yeah and but, this is the moment I think the show does it because the show fully outright murders a person. And yes, there's a lot to back it up. Like he's tied yeah. to glory, like he's mystical, like all this stuff, but he is human and Giles smothers him to death. Yeah. No, it's I It's a big agree. moment. It is. <laughs> and it actually is paralleled a lot, I think, in the next episode or rather in the episode of Angel that we watched, but I'll save that. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I definitely think it's the show coming to this more complicated, nuanced place I think I also really appreciate that, well, nothing that I didn't already just say, but just the idea that Giles is doing it. Like, Buffy doesn't leave Ben there knowing that Giles is going to come clean up her mess, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they have this understanding. She's not doing it thinking that she can technically keep her hands clean, but that this will be done anyway. You know, he really, really is hiding it and protecting her from, from that knowledge. I don't know. Sorry, just a quick note that I was looking in the background. And yes, they definitely, Ben and Glory definitely made a deal. In that episode. Okay. I don't know how we missed that, that makes or why I don't remember that at all, but um, yeah. I mean, Ben is still a, like an ass. Totally, totally. But it makes sense at least why he's like jumping to certain conclusions instead of just accepting that like, oh, this demon portal opens, I'm probably also going to die. So at least there's yeah. some logic there that I thought was missing. Okay. Anyway, yeah. And that <laughs> makes sense why then when Ben is like, I guess we're stuck with each other. Yeah. And why he's in, in this episode, I was like, why again? It's like if he had decided something, but like, why does he care about Don wearing this dress? Well, that's still weird because the dress yeah. is still weird. But anyway. Yeah. Don looks like she's going to the Ren Fair. Like, <laughs> she really does. <sighs> so can we talk about Spike too? Please. Always. Yeah. Cause this is this is the episode where you really, I think start to kind of root for Spike a little bit. And it's too late because Buffy dies. But Spike steps up. Like, he, this entire back half of this season, like, aside from, like, the creepy crush on Buffy and all of this stuff, like, and the way he's handled that and the Buffy bot, like, no, no, like, excuses for any of that. It's disgusting and rightly called out. But 
you know, he's a, he sort of has adopted Don as his charge yes. in a way. Like, even before Joyce died, like, you know, he's, yes. like, t- you know, making sure she's getting into enough trouble but not taking it yes. too far. And totally, I think already, like, you know, we saw him hold out against Glory's torture and, like, doesn't give Don up. And, like, Buffy already knows that she can basically trust Spike with Don's life. Mm-hmm. And here she just outright asks him, yes. you know, if when this goes bad, yeah. if this goes bad, like, all of that please just, your mission is Dawn. Like, and that scene made me choke up because she invites Spike into the house. Like, you know, she establishes the trust that she now has in him. And, you know, she asked him to protect her and he says until the end of the world. And it's just like, (laughs) oh my God. Like, it's It's a good line. And they, he, he really sells it. (laughs) He really kills every scene as Spike, honestly. Like, ah, Yes. Well, and so that was a scene in particular. Actually, most of the moments with Spike were were the moments where I really was kind of dwelling on this idea of this as the series finale. And I, in some ways, like these moments better than what the kind of resolution and catharsis that we'll get at the end of season seven. I think because these ones were really small gestures that mean a lot and that aren't so like, I don't know. There was just something about like, I kind of like more this moment where the catharsis is we see that they've reestablished trust in one another and not necessarily that they're going to fall in love or that they're not going to fall in love or that that potential is there or isn't there. But in some ways, I think that moment between Buffy and her inviting him into her house again is more satisfying than her telling her, telling him he, she loves him later, you know, and it kind yeah. of in the same way, Giles and Giles and Spike also have a moment, you know, when they're gearing up for battle oh, and they're like saying that. this line together. And like, that was also, I think a really, really sweet they were quoting that, the St. Crispin's Day speech, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And I think I that meant to look that really, up, but I forgot to. It puts a really nice pin, I think, in in Spike's growth. That, like, again, I'm happy to see most of the next two seasons of Spike. He gets to do some cool things. Obviously, there's a big asterisk to that whole thing. But uh, anyway, all I'm trying to say is that as a series finale, I think those moments with Spike in particular land very, very well for me. And I, in some ways, I like these kind of more subtle ones where they, you know, knowing that they're going to get another season, but that they had also written this as maybe the final. They like want to put some moments in there that aren't too conclusive. But I think in some ways, these ones work better than the like outright acceptance of Spike or like yeah. actually proclaimed love for him. And again, I like that he gets to say his piece in a like much less creepy way than he's been going at it. You know, like him telling her that like, I'm not doing this because I want you to love me, but because of the way you treat me and make me feel is like a better confession of love than when most of what we've gotten him, from him. Or he tells her that she makes him, she treats him feel like a man. man. Yeah. yeah. Like that's it's a nice, true. that's a good Even line. That's a better battling, line. She's yeah. never really treated him as just a vampire foe. Like yeah. she has always kind of treated him as a person. So, which is why I think she's so disgusted when he's, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, and that's but the, part that's of the tough balance of the whole show. You kind of said it later is like it's a more emotional like rea- like goodbye that they have in the um Series final season but this one is two warriors recognizing yeah. each other I think which is I think what works too. I agree. So and they're about way, to go yeah. to battle. Yeah. You know? Like there are, she yeah. shouldn't be like I love you it should be like I respect you and I trust you to have my back. Well, I mean, because at this point, she doesn't love him. You know, I mean, she, it would no, also be yeah. totally silly for her to say that. But I, yeah, I guess, I, yeah. Oof. But I agree with you. That scene was excellent. I really like that moment with him and Giles. Because, again, just getting to see Spike integrated into this group in small ways, I think, in, is more meaningful than seeing kind of the bigger gestures that may or may not come later. Yeah. Not that I think they shouldn't do them or anything. I'm just saying 
that's those moments really landed for me. Oh, Spike and Spike crying is always the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah, the end when he's he breaks down. It's yeah. like oh, it's so, so I mean, sad. he's also like I mean, when he gets thrown off the tower, I know. It's, it's a it's always a little shocking to me because like you, you remember in that to, moment he's yeah. a vampire, he'll be okay. But like he gets thrown off of that tower. Well, and also because you expect him to succeed. I I do. You know, like that demon Doc is not very well established, but. I just expect, or at least expect Spike to be able to hold his own for longer than he does. Like, he pretty quickly gets bested. I mean, part of it is probably because they don't know who that guy is at all or know anything about him, so maybe he's not prepared well, but, like, it is still surprising. And he's, the look on his face, you know, before he gets thrown off the tower is also very, like, oh, my God, poor Spike. So... You just reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about, but uh-huh. I'm like, do I talk about it now? I, th- I should talk about it now before I forget about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that Glory ultimately ends up being the easiest right. element yeah. of all of this to put down. Which, yes. given to me that it's a little strange, given that they've spent an entire season Building talking about how undefeatable she is. Yeah. And all Buffy does is get a hammer and some determination. And <laughs> true. Glory true. is like pretty much dispatched easier than anything like the ultimate foe ends up being doc and it's do you think that that was effective like that like glory's ultimately like the MacGuffin? like she's just the thing that brings them all there i don't think it's accurate to say she's the MacGuffin because is that a correct use of the term MacGuffin? i don't actually know (laughs) i i think it is with what you meant to say but i don't think it's accurate to what i i think I guess what Doc I'm trying to would say never is like have their been battle ends up being a little anticlimactic. I, I think that that's fair assessment. For some reason, it doesn't bother me, even though I think you're right that it should. I mean, in a lot of ways, Adam was like that too, you know? Yeah. But the way they defeated all, Adam was just so cool. I was willing to like sure. forgive that part. I guess. Because that spell, like, Adam was put away yeah. pretty easily, but the spell wasn't easy. Yeah. But this is like, I, I don't Buffy know. really ta- literally takes a hammer that has been there forever and like that well, they just remember is okay. there oh, and I know. like kills glory no no it. no i know what i wanted to say it doesn't kill glory I, that's no, I the difference no 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 but the difference is that the only reason that this works the way that it does is because giles decides to kill ben at the end of it if they were just making a it's because they have this weird time frame now that they didn't know about throughout this whole season so like really they're not trying buffy doesn't kill glory and she's not trying to she's trying to just distract her for long enough for this portal this time portal this time frame to close and so, but because of that, they're able to kill her because Giles is there to do that. I guess what I'm trying to say is that knowing the way the conversation went and knowing Buffy, if if the time frame aspect hadn't been part of this and they had realized they had all these weapons, the best they could have done is beaten Glory very badly and threatened her to stay away. But Buffy would have never agreed to killing Ben. So I guess, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think you're wrong to say that it's anticlimactic. Anticlimactic. It didn't bother me for whatever reason, so I'm like fine with it. But I think that it's not as though they could have done this at any point in the season. It wouldn't have worked this way without all these things happening at this one time. I mean, I I will accept that. I just feel like she doesn't. You're right. She doesn't kill Glory, but she beats her into submission. But Glory with definitely would have. She's had this entire time. But Glory, that only is a temporary stop on Glory. If if they had left Ben there, Glory a hundred percent would have recovered and come back. That's true. as powerful as she had been. And then it's like, oh, does Buffy just beat her with this troll hammer once a month? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I don't think that it is a realistic way to stop her forever. Because maybe it's Buffy's just more only like Buffy's a symptom only, of like they built a or wrote a demon that was pretty much or a villain that was pretty much undefeatable. I guess, but I wonder too if really the 
I don't want to say the true villain all along, but there is also this aspect that like the real threat is not Doc, Doc or Glory necessarily. The threat is what Buffy might have to do or accept about Dawn. So I do think in that way, that's I think that's why the catharsis still happens for me, because the end of this of the episode is still very, very cathartic or at least very conclusive or something. Right. That like. Yes, Buffy is battling Glory, but really what she's trying to do is stop Dawn from dying. She's not even trying to stop the world from ending. She's trying to stop Dawn from being used in that, you know? So I don't know. There is some aspect of it that I still think is, is working for me. Well, even she's though also I get, trying to I, stop herself from becoming ruthlessly, right. efficiently killed. Like, I think it goes back to all these concerns she's had about being a killer. Like, if she allows Dawn to die and sacrifices Dawn for everything, <clears throat> who does Buffy become in that scenario, right. right? Like, does she just become a cold, calculated, like, killing machine? You but know, I, something that she's had real fear about becoming, right. and I think maybe that's what the show is trying to say. I think it is, and I guess that's what I'm saying. I think that's why I never really noticed how unsatisfying that actual fight scene is, because it's not, the whole season hasn't really been about glory. It's really been about, or at least a lot of this episode, season has been about specifically death, it's called out. I mean, death has always been a part of Buffy, but death is a theme of this season. Buffy struggling with her identity and her relationship to death and killing is a huge part of this, if not the actual arc of the season. So I think that there are ways in which it does become apparent that like, oh yeah, this hasn't really been about glory at all. It's been about all these other things. Oh, I did want to actually say though, as much as, yes, the, ultimately the battle is, uh, the defeat is not that satisfying, but I did like the fight scene with them climbing on this. It was very Empire oh, yeah. Strikes, it was very Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I like this. I like what you did. You only built this tower so that they could have this very difficult terrain fight scene happen. <laughs> well, there's no other reason for a tower. They don't really need that. She could have jumped off a building. It just looked cool and I appreciated it. Yeah, it was a very fun scene to yeah. watch of them climbing up and down and falling and yeah. jumping and all of that. It's yeah. like watching James Bond. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> so watching this episode, what really struck me too is like, doesn't Riley feel like a million years ago? Yes. Oh my God. I didn't even remember he was in this season. <laughs> I know. Like everything from the like second or the first half of the season feels like forever ago. It does. It's true. Even Joyce feels like forever ago. Yeah. Yeah. But, but really Riley is the one where I was like, Oh, that's right. He, when they start this season, yeah, <laughs> everybody, you know, like I feel like this season feels stretched, like the beginning and where they end up are like, yeah. Part. Yeah. Huh. I mean, that's what 22 episodes will do. But it's true. I was going to say, do we also feel this way at season four, though, in some ways? Because maybe. we're not watching two a week anymore? Maybe. Maybe, maybe not, though. I, I mean, yeah, I agree with you the either timing, way. Like the timing of how we've been watching as well. Right, right. But I think your point about Riley stands either way. <laughs> um, and I do. I, yeah, yeah. It does feel like forever ago. The other thing that I liked about this episode, or is certainly notable, is that when they're planning when they're still in the planning stages of this you know Buffy tells Willow like you're my big gun <laughs> it's like it really is also yeah I guess just notable like Willow is among the most powerful and everybody is acknowledging it now maybe you, even Willow so yeah I noted that scene as well because Willow's kind of like who me no and then literally <laughs> yeah. the next episode Willow's like I can do whatever I want it's so. true well I mean yeah yeah Totally. Right. Things change, but also Willow's attitude She's on a path. power seems yeah. to change as well because of that. For sure. 
Um, Careful, Buffy. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Um, I mean, and again, as much as we've said, without going into everything that happens in the next season, a lot of it really is um, getting little foreshadows and set up in this season. So as much as people like to complain about where season six goes, I think it's very clear in retrospect that that was where it had to go next. And where it was always intended to go. Yeah, you know, certainly. like that this is, you know, I mean, think about it. Like people want TV to be like kind of an escape, but I think, and this show obviously is with the supernatural elements, but I think where it successfully transitions from the metaphor of high school to the metaphor of adulthood is like, things get a little dark and bleak yeah. and like not and so everything much gets fun harder. to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's a true metaphor for adulthood, but maybe not as fun to watch on your Agreed. TV. Yeah. Um, huh. we didn't talk about Xander and Anya. Oh yeah. Oh God. I, which we I, don't have to uh, get too into because <laughs> I think there'll be more to talk about it next yeah, season. Yeah, next season. True. But Xander proposes. It's true. I do like that moment though. I, even you saying it now, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when it happened to the show, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that was this episode. <laughs> yeah. So just mentioning that because yeah. it will come up. Worth so. mentioning. Agreed. Yep. Uh, shoot, what was it? One last thing I wanted to say, or at least one other thing. Um, oh, <laughs> just that, because this has always been a little hobby of mine, is like fi- every time a moment happens that you realize is in the opening credits of Buffy, it's always like, oh, that's where that's from. So like I, in, I kind of know where all the like last shots of Buffy are from, and this one just cracks me up because if it hasn't already been in this season, it'll be in season six and seven. The like final shot of Buffy with her head cocked to the side is actually the Buffy bot. And I just find that particularly hilarious. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. I get it. I know it's still Sarah Michelle Gellar, but every time I see it in the credits from now on, I'll be like, Oh wait, that's the bot. <laughs> well, and I think what's also cool is like, obviously it's a fake out and it's effective, but I think when you know that it's happening, I actually picked up on, like, she is acting like... Totally, 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 yeah, But it's easy to miss because it's, like, Buffy being cocky while fighting Glory. Right. Her delivery and her, like, mannerisms, she's being the Buffy bot. Yeah, totally. The way she says something to Glory about, like, I thought you were supposed to be blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, it's sort of something Buffy would say, but it's definitely something the bot would say. (laughs) Yeah, like, someone told me you were, like, a media. (laughs) But, yeah, so I guess... Uh, what I didn't take any notes about is the actual, uh, final moments where Buffy decides to sacrifice herself instead of Dawn. Uh, I mean, yeah, what is there to say? But yeah, I think visually it's great. I mean, like the sun's coming up and Buffy doesn't even really say anything and Dawn kind of gets it, you know, like Buffy's about to go and then Buffy gives her her little speech. Yeah. There is a part of me that feel wonders if it's really better for Dawn this way. Because now Dawn, I don't know, I guess it's just like, it really, they really have been dealt a terrible hand where there's no good option. You know, like letting Dawn sacrifice herself is a terrible option. Buffy sacrificing herself is a terrible option. I think ultimately, yes, I agree. It's the better option because she's lived longer and it is her job and whatever. But like, it's still hard. Um, knowing, I, I guess that's what why I mean, they make the whole speech about living, because at that point, that's literally all Dawn has left is like right. the fact that she's alive. I guess I just mean to say how I how hard that is still going to be for Dawn to like, now you, you are already dealing with knowing that you're not real. Your mom dies. Now your sister dies. <laughs> you're left with nothing or, and no one, um, which is obviously not the point, but it did, it did strike me as especially sad, even sadder than I think I remember the sacrifice being kind of, um, Oh, actually the other thing that I wanted to say is that the other thing that I appreciated about that moment is, I. 
Dawn stepping up and offering herself. Uh, because I do feel like Dawn hasn't really pulled her... Not That's not a fair way to say this. I just appreciate seeing that she's learned and learned from Buffy and learned from everybody that like sometimes these things happen and that she's willing to also sacrifice herself to save the whole world. I think that... not. You know, it's like, I don't want to say, like, oh, it's so noble, but that moment really touched me, too, where I was like, Dawn is also really stepping up and thinking about things in a way that she kind of hasn't always seemed like she is before. Maybe it was seeing the dragon fly by? Probably. <laughs> they do get a little bit too loosey-goosey with those demon things, though, because even if the portal closes, aren't those aliens still going to be all over City Hall or whatever? That was I a little mean, weird. who knows? <laughs> I did have a moment of, like, catharsis, though, seeing City Hall get beat, like, blasted apart because I was like yeah <laughs> there's probably some Mayor Wilkins cronies in there yeah that's <laughs> true oh my so god we gotta move on <laughs> I know I know I I knew um, it was gonna be long I did too but I um, thought we were at like a 40 minute mark we are not but I think I did want to say one more thing where I think it's like the show is really kind of clever about how they handle this like Buffy defeats her last big bad right yeah like she wins the battle but you know, the war is gone. It's true. Oh, and... I mean, the I, war is still going on, but her part in it is... Is over. In theory, over. Um, I do also want to call out the uh, greatest tombstone engraving of all time. <laughs> Just, she saved the world a lot, and I want to be on the record recorded, even though I've said this many times in my own real life, that that is what I want on my tombstone. <laughs> I know it's not true, but I want it there anyway. <laughs> um, I think what is really interesting about that scene is... You know, I think that was supposed to be the final nail of like, this is not a fake out. This is death. It's sure. Real. Yeah, yep. I agree. It is also a really nice encapsulation of like, it does say something about like devoted sister, daughter, blah, blah, blah on it. And then it also has this like very, you know, Buffy verse quip about she saved the world a lot. Like it is a very, it's fitting. But yet somehow we still have two more seasons. So. <laughs> Whew. All right. <clears throat> We'll get there. All right. There's no place like where it's cooler. <laughs> um, I like trying to leave out vowels and I just can't. It's impossible. You can't speak without them. I'm pretty sure I learned that in linguistics class. I think you can in like Czechoslovakia. You still say them though. Oh. Is what they I just mean. don't spell them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to, your mouth has to make the sounds, I think. <laughs> don't tweet me about that. I, I'm not going to look into this any further, but I feel confident, at least in most languages, it's very difficult to speak without them. Anyway, so... Uh, this episode, again, picks up where the last one left off. We saw Lauren's head. I will also try to be very top line about this. We see Lauren's head, uh, on a platter. Cordelia thinks that she's doomed him to execution, but of course he's still alive. He's able to live as long as his body hasn't been mutilated. And so clearly it hasn't, but yeah, but basically kind of everything comes to a conclusion in this, in this episode, Cordelia is the princess she, we find out that, I mean, we knew that she is supposed to mate with the Grusalog, but we find out that it's because she's supposed to pass her visions to him through the mating, and then they'll be done with her, and the Grusalog will be basically the um, priest's ruling minion. Like, he will be the figurehead for whatever it is that they want to do, which is how they're already treating Cordelia. So we also kind of find out a little bit more, of, well, about um, the head priest, whose name is Silas, kind of like his hold on everything. He has developed this way to, at an instant, kill all of the cows, a.k.a. humans, because they all wear that sort of um, neck uh, chain, and he has some sort of magical way to kill them all in an instant, pretty brutally. 
Um, meanwhile, you know, Gunn and Wesley become part of the rebel- human rebellion movement and decide um, Wesley gets named kind of their new leader because of obvious demonstrations of skill and prowess or whatever. Um, and so they help them come up with a plan to storm the castle. They also finally get reunited with Angel, and who now has Fred tagging along with him. Um, and as part of their plan, Angel is going to challenge the Gruselog to a fight, which will help cause a distraction so that the rest of them can get in and rescue Cordelia. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, basically by the end of it, Angel, even though he has to turn into his extra bad vampire self, is able to restrain himself and he doesn't kill the Gruselog. They um, are able to kill Silas. Cordelia is able to heroically kill Silas and establish that there will no longer be slavery in this realm and that the Gruselog will be the new ruler. Um, and with Fred's help and the help of the royal priestly books they're able to build a portal or you know open a portal back to la and they're able to return that's more or less it and then they find out Buffy's and then dead. they find i know i was leaving that part out but oh, sorry <laughs> i'll talk about it <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean I obviously there's tons <laughs> tons more details in here but um but yeah they kind of defeat this bad priest group who's oppressing everybody in this region maybe a little basically everybody wants to go home now everybody's ready to go home (laughs) (laughs) um cordelia also well you know we'll get there so um i don't know i i think this is the most this episode was the most we've seen of fred so far i mean she was in the last episode talking to angel quite a bit but in this one i think she's kind of actually speaking a lot more um and we kind of see all these kind of strange mannerisms that she's developed basically as I mean, presumably as coping mechanisms for living in this horrible place where she's constantly under threat of dying or worse. Um, You know, she's like kind of speaks and says these kind of made up things that she's come up with. She doesn't have anyone to talk to. She kind of has forgotten a lot about her life in our world, you know, slash the real world. Um, Like, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I appreciated this or I enjoyed this introduction to Fred, I think. And I also just kind of liked seeing like the more that she talks to Angel, the more she kind of starts to remember about her old life. Um, but I just thought that was like kind of realistic. Fred blurting out tacos yeah. is like <laughs> the Very best relatable. moment. I was like, I, I get it. Yep. I understand. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, this episode to me was, it was actually full of like parallels to the gift. Like, and it was funny because like at one point this servant comes into Cordelia, um, you know, like Cordelia's chambers and she's just like bestowing these honorifics on her. I mean, honestly, it's just because they have the same like, head writer right or showrunner which is Joss Whedon but like the way that they spoke to Cordelia was exactly the way the minions speak to Glory um Mm -hmm. we also saw this moment where um you know Wesley and the rebels are planning this invasion of the castle are planning to storm the castle essentially and he has to make this kind of aside to gun about like yeah we can't save everybody some of them are gonna die in this endeavor um I just felt like Gunn has his opinions of how this should go because Gunn's like Gun coming from his background, his goal is always to save everybody, right? Yes. Like, you don't want to get anybody killed. And Wesley has to kind of tell him, like, that's not the goal here. Right. Yeah. But I thought that was also very, it was a very Giles moment, you know? So maybe yeah. it's because of a shared training that they had, or maybe it's just the reality of being in that leadership position for long enough, you'll learn those things or accept those things. So I thought that was another good parallel. Um I thought it was really an interesting question if that comes from the Watcher training, like if that's part of it. Yeah. Because sometimes it's easy to forget that Giles and Wesley have the same background. Exactly. But sometimes I get reminded. Yeah. 
but yeah, I, uh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where to jump in anymore also because there's just so much going on. There was a lot going on. First of all, somebody needs to tell the head priest that Mustache November is over. So <laughs> Get rid of Remove that. his tattoo that yeah. kept weirding me out. It was weird. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions that get raised. I think because ultimately everybody has like found their own, well, maybe not everybody, but like Cordelia and Angel at least have had moments of like really enjoying this world. And now the dark side has come right. out and they just want to get the hell out. Right. right. And... That's easier said than done, but it's okay. This episode is a little bit of a mess. Like, there's a lot going it's on. It's true. But it, it's ultimately, I think, this uplifting thing where everybody kind of they have like a renewed interest in their mission right. on Earth, right? Like, Cordelia makes a very big choice of like these visions are painful and they're terrible, but I'm going to keep them. Probably killing me, but they're mine <clears throat> and it's my responsibility. And she's not giving them up, right? And you know, Angel knows what's inside of him, but. <sighs> you know, with the help of Fred, yeah. he's keeping a lid on it and he decides like he's not going to be the killer, you know, yeah. like he doesn't have to give in to that thing. Like, right. I think that's really effective in his battle with the Grusalog where right. he gets essentially goaded into changing, but then is able to control that, it back. Yeah. And it's not this like, oh, I defeated the beast inside of me moment. It's the, I can be more both. than the beast inside. Oh of me yeah. Moment. Or that he, that both of them are part of him and he, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I definitely think everybody getting a renewed sense of purpose or being having them themselves kind of reestablished was totally part of it. I mean, even even, you know, Gunn has his moment also with the rebels where he's realizing like, well, yeah, kind of what you already said that, like, he's not going to leave them behind this time, which is what he feels like he did back home. Right. Um, And Wesley is going to feel less insecure as a leader because another group of people have, you know, seen that he maybe has leadership skills and kind of like reinforce that for him. Although also maybe sowing some dissent between him and Gunn <laughs> that so, I, I okay, believe comes I, back into play. <laughs> I think that that's interesting. We could talk about the Wesley thing because I do think over the course of this show, Wesley has the biggest arc, right. obviously like Wesley from his first <clears throat> appearance on the show, Rogue Demon Hunter finale are two totally different people. Yes. And I think this is kind of the start of it where I agree. Wesley has been made head of the team by Angel. And, you know, so far that means like, okay, Cordelia had a vision. Let's go. I have an idea. Let's do this. But this is a moment where yet another group has decided that Wesley is a leader and put him in charge. Mm -hmm. And Wesley has to kind of decide to accept that or not. Like he tells Gunn, like, I don't know why people keep putting him in charge. But then he proves exactly why they do. Because for whatever reason, Wesley, you know, Obviously, Wesley (coughs) knows some battle tactics and has some experience fighting, but he also has the ability to make the decisions that need to be made. Right. And I just wonder if, like, this is the part where Wesley starts to get hardened a little bit. I think so, yeah. And in the next season, continue to make decisions that he thinks have to be made, but that he kind of carries it a little far. Yeah, maybe he's overcorrecting a little bit. Right. And... Or that he's realizing what happens when those decisions have to be made about his friends. So here is kind of the start of that where, you know, he is making the hard choice to sacrifice the rebels, but also at the same time, like, what are the rebels to him? Right. Like, he doesn't know them. Like, they, they're willing to fight. So he's, he's not in any position to tell them not to. Mm -hmm. He's already seen a bunch of them die and already in the name of their cause. So it's not like he's introducing them to that concept. Yeah. So he's not really asking them to make a hard choice that they wouldn't already make. Right. But I do think it's an interesting shift where we kind of see him very confidently lead this charge. It's true because, I I mean, 
I did also get the impression that as much as Wesley is saying these things to Gunn, Gunn isn't totally buying it. And I don't think that you're necessarily supposed to think either one of them is totally correct. You know, Gunn's inclination to say, I'm going to protect my people is not wrong. (laughs) You know, in fact, it's very much the choice that Buffy was making in the last episode. So it is, I I do think it was interesting that they like do kind of pose all these things a little bit. Wesley is kind of deemed correct in that he is the one that's appointed leader. And that's kind of where the show goes for a little while. But I don't think that it was a totally black and white, like, yeah, gun, you need to learn this lesson too, that sometimes you have to sacrifice people. I definitely think it's open to debate. Like that's Wesley's point of view. It's not everybody's. Not to, I'm not trying to say he's doing anything wrong either. I'm just saying it. No. I think it was very ambiguous. Not very. I think it was a little ambiguous. Like, it's not necessarily that Wesley is 100% right. It's just that he's the one in charge right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a valid choice, a valid decision. Yeah. And to what you were saying about, like, you know, this tension between him and Gunn, it's apparently resolved in this episode. And, you know, we've seen this series of episodes with them in Pylea where, you know, Gunn and Wesley have been very buddy-buddy and, like, they've got their little handshake and, like, obviously, like, friends and getting along. And, you know, but this episode introduces all the elements that are pretty much going to undo that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Fred, yeah. (laughs) Mostly Fred. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I want to talk about Gru, who I think was great. (laughs) I I forgot until this episode that he has those blue contacts. Yeah. I did not. I remember noticing, well, at least his large irises in the last episode. I don't think they were quite so blue, but maybe. Um, but I really like the moment where you, you know, I, it is, it, it does add this like nice little kind of tragic romance to this that like Cordelia and, and Gru are supposed to mate and get married. And obviously like she shouldn't be forced to do anything and she wouldn't, and she isn't, and she wouldn't be. But, um, once they start spending time together, I mean, they basically do fall in love pretty quickly. And then because like kind of much like Angel, she's actually once she finds out what was supposed to happen in that they're supposed to mate so that she can give him her her visions. She can't anymore. You know, it's like I guess I'm just trying to say that it's like they do fall in love and they probably would have slept together, except she finds out this terrible thing and then she's not able to do it. Not only is she not able to stay in his dimension, but like they can't even really progress at all while she's there because for fear of losing her visions. I'm just saying it was sad. Cause well, I like Gru and I like the sacrifices that he makes for her. And you know, like there's that part where he saved Lauren, even though he knew he shouldn't. And so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's a, a well that the show is going <laughs> to, true. which is, you know, the, um, unrequited romance for mystical reasons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it is interesting. And, and I, what was notable to me about it was, you know, Cordelia is so often the victim of, you know, these supernatural things. Like, she's the one who always ends up pregnant and, yeah. like, all this stuff. And I think there's a moment where this episode or these episodes seem to be headed in the exact same way. Like, even Cordelia is like, could I just, like, not, not <laughs> like, be in this role, you know? But I think the nice twist of this is that, you know, it gets subverted a little bit yeah. where she has the power to say, no, that's not what this is going to be. And mm-hmm. she does get a true romance, which is something that she hasn't had on the exactly, show Exactly, yeah. I guess that's and part Cordelia of... Cordelia doesn't have a life on the show. Yeah, yeah. It is, and it is satisfying to see her get to do it. And, and again, because over and over again in this episode, or at least for the most part, I would say we're reminded that, yeah, Cordelia is shallow, but she's also a good person who's doing her very best. She's doing everything she thinks is right. 
you know, she's trying to save people. She's trying to be merciful. She's trying to establish mercy in this realm where it doesn't exist. Um, you know, even when it is possibly going to come at some sort of cost to her. So I'm just trying to say, not that we didn't already know this, but she deserves some happiness. Um, Yeah. Like it's about time she gets some. Yeah. I also thought it was kind of funny. I don't think I had ever really thought about this, but obviously the way that Cordelia initially gets the visions is from kissing. Um, and that, that they seem to know that here that like the way to pass this along is uh, some sort of smooch. (laughs) I mean, obviously there's more details to it than that since it didn't work with Wesley, but I did think that was kind of a funny tie in. Yeah. Like obviously the passing with Doyle was like the powers that be are okaying this because it happens. But then I'm assuming the comm shock is some sort of ceremony to make it happen. I think Comshock was literally just them sleeping together. I don't think it was a ceremony. I think that was just what they called it. Well, I assumed it was the ceremony because, like, there's an element of she has to pass the visions. And, like, if the powers that be don't want that to happen, it's not going to happen. I don't know, like, but I don't know. said she had her visions. I don't know. I don't know if any of that is clear. Hmm. Well, either way. I think it makes sense to me either way. Yeah. Or maybe they've just misinterpreted and it wouldn't have worked. Maybe. Hmm. We will never know. We'll never know. I did really like the fight scene between Gru and Angel. Um, mostly just because, I don't know why, I don't know why I had this reaction to it, but I think just because we had been talking so much about how kind of poorly established Glory is and her relative strength to Buffy and kind of all of those things in the, in the last few episodes have been a little bit poor. I thought they like totally nailed it in this fight scene where it's like, we're supposed to understand that the Gru slog is totally badass. And he was like, he told, you know, Angel is not, completely defeated, you know, easily. Um, and obviously once he turns into his like Pylea vampire self, he quickly gets the upper hand. But I, I thought that was like a really well done fight scene where you could very quickly understand why the Grus log has been named that, you know, like, Oh, he, it's not just an accident that he's been defeating all these. He's super, super good at fighting. (laughs) I don't know. I just really liked that scene. I thought it was, although I did bring up the question for me, is that his typical fighting arena? Because otherwise, why do they just have all these like weapons lying around? Uh, I thought he came out of the castle with them because he no, he, had he been like marches out. over to a stand of axes and like pulls one out. Um, maybe I didn't come out of the castle with him. Are you sure? I'm sure. Like he literally walked up to, um, like this little. I thought it was like a trailer of swords or whatever. I thought it was like on wheels, but maybe not. I mean, either way, he knew he was going to a fight, so I don't know. Yeah, but he, he like, planning. marched out bare hands, and then he's, like, in the mm. little, like, center square, and just, like, he's it's like, oh, look town at this square. shelf of weapons. I'll just take one. Well, I think in the town square, it was, like, a little market. Yeah, but why do they just have weapons? For sale. <laughs> They're for sale. They're for sale? I thought it was just, like, the Grusilog's cache of weapons on full view. <laughs> I think either they brought them out on, uh, like, it, either they brought them out of the castle with him, because, like, and that thing was on wheels, or it was, like, a town market where there was a weapon stand, and he just took one. Hmm. I don't know. I guess I wasn't looking at it that carefully. It didn't seem weird to me, though. I think I prefer the explanation where they're selling weapons in the town square. <laughs> I think that makes sense. I think they both make sense, though. Yeah. I mean, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about the hosts getting reassembled, did we? No. Well, not really. So that's a bit of a handy fix. Uh, which, how so? Well, so we, in the last episode... Oh, just that he can. Been, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the host well, has totally. been... Uh, beheaded and Cordelia's freaking out and everybody's like really sad because like oh well you know one of us one of our number has been killed and then the pure comedy that comes from him just being headless and walking you know talking 
Yeah. Not walking, but talking. And then Gru has this moment of like shift, like changing the bodies. Yeah. No, I, I did mention that. It, I mentioned it in the summary and I mentioned Gru's yeah. little But does it, deed. it feels like a Star Wars scene where like, you know, they have to go get three POs. Parts. It did feel like that. I also yeah. thought Gunn felt a lot like Han Solo in, <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> and the last episode reminded me of Empire Strikes Back. So I don't know. I <laughs> These are very uh, Star Wars reference laden or I just have that lens on today. <laughs> This is Angel's secret Star Wars trio of episodes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something about Gunn just being like the kind of like badass who's like not really invested in this, but then decides that he's going to take up the cause is like kind of Han Solo-ish. No, I don't know. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, about, a little bit. Yeah, Lauren is totally 3PO. Yeah, and which makes Grusilog Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> I buy it. <laughs> he's hairy. Hmm. Well, I did forget about this, but it was wonderful when Cordelia beheads Silas. Oh, yes. (laughs) Totally well-earned, wonderful. I love it. He, of course, underestimated her. She, of course, is a badass who just totally went for it. I like it. I loved it. Yeah, because I think ultimately it's clear the priests are the big, you know, evil that they have to fight here and this, like, system and all of that, but... I guess ultimately, so all of this starts because Cordelia has a vision. And this vision seems like it was, like, meant to serve quite a big task. True. Like, they come and rescue Fred. Mm-hmm. And they free the people of Pylea. Mm-hmm. They kill these priests. And essentially, like, theoretically, at least, I think there's a blow against Wolfram and Hart because right, they had established sort of... that they're connected in a way. Yeah. I guess that was the ultimate yeah, goal I of guess the powers so. that be. <laughs> that <was big. laughs> uh, there's a lot going on from one lot. little vision. Yeah. I'm generally happy with the resolution of everyone. I am particularly happy with Lauren's, like, realization that he never needs to come back here. I think, you know, again, like, we we talked a lot about how in these episodes it is kind of this, like, um, they're juxtaposing some, like, tones with very, very, like, lighthearted tone with a very heavy actual reality. And I don't think Lauren's story is any exception to that. I mean, I in some ways wish that Lauren had got a little more screen time in this, especially since this has all taken place in his home world. But ultimately him having that final confrontation with his mother, you know, it's like sort of played for laughs, but it also is like clearly he had an incredibly abusive childhood and he has no reason to go back there to those people who don't love him or care about him at all. And again, like yeah, like as much as it's like, it's sort of silly, but I'm very happy that that way he concludes it as being like, I thought I needed something from here. I don't, I'm happy in LA and that's where I'm going to go. Like it was very fulfilling even though it was still sad. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what his friend was telling him. Like you need to go. Right. Of course. You know, I think she presents it as like, you need to go confront your past, but I think it's really like to confront the past and move on, make a break. Yeah. With it. Yeah. And the way he says that I needed to come here to find out that I didn't need to come here is like, yeah, roundabout, but accurate. <laughs> yeah. And that frees him up to have no reservations about staying in LA True. and you know, on the show. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, so, totally got sidelined, uh, rather, uh, surprised by that ending because the last time we were in the hotel, we had seen, um, Daniel Day Kim, I forget what his name is in the show. Um, they're kind of threatening to take over the hotel. So when they all walk in with this look of shock on their faces, I think it's going to be because Wilferman Hart has like set up shop, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, right. Willow. <laughs> oh, so sad. They didn't need to end it that way. I think they have to, because they have to tie the shows together. But we can see it in the next in season. They just want to pull the punch on us. Yeah. They want to see everybody's face crumple. Yeah. Dead. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, okay, so I do want to talk about that scene for a different reason. Because, yes, there's the gut punch again of like, oh, yeah, Buffy died. And I just watched that. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also the, 
um, arrival of everybody back at the hotel. And much as like at the end of the first season, we, you know, Gunn shows up quite a bit and then he's integrated in with the team in this right. season. This series of episodes also forms the new cast right. going into season three. Like that Fred's going to be obviously there. Obviously Fred mm-hmm. and then, but then the host, like he's, right. you know, with them. So like everybody walking into the hotel in that scene is like, yeah going to be there. Right. And I, th- I think that's a nice, nice shot. I agree. Like every year Angel just picks up a few more strays. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I thought I had a lot to say about this, but I, I think I wore myself out. I agree. About the gift. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, as I think it is a good episode, we definitely like this arc more than the rest of this whole season. I think for the yes. most part, um, I once again, feels like, Although we've had this feeling before, so I don't know where all the missteps are in the future, how many there are, but it does feel like, once again, Angel the Show has kind of figured out what's working for them, and hopefully they're going to lean into that a lot more and lean out of it a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they would be well-served. And it's still all the same things that we've been talking about since day one. Like, they do better when they have a strong... What, because they have a strong ens- ensemble, they do better when they rely on that, when they tie them together and when they fo- let everybody have time to shine, not just Angel. And like that's totally what this last few arcs did. And they also do a better job when they're not so, so, so emo dark, you know, and when they're rather just dark, but there's also some levity. Yeah, these episodes were definitely full of levity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss the sunshine. It's true. Yeah, it will be dark again, but oh well. All right, we did it. We season did it. five <laughs> and season two. <laughs> I'm telling you, it all feels like a million years ago. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. So should should we skip pop culture this week? Maybe, yeah. I don't have anything anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really either. Um, I think there's no other choice for me, but I'm going to be Team Buffy. Exactly, yes, also Team Buffy. There's (laughs) no other correct answer. (laughs) This is a one bubble fill-in test. Yes. We are going to air this the week before the holidays. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we're going to take a break through into the new year yeah. before we pick up again. So we'll be back in Let everybody 2019. celebrate. Yeah. Whew. Sometime in January. Sometime in January. TBD. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> All right. I'll talk I to you I feel very soon. drained. <laughs> Me too. That was a lot. Yeah. Whew. All right. Well, I'll talk to you in season six. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. 